Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. I'm Tina Spring, and I'm joined today by my smart and pretty co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith. And today we have a fan favorite back. We have the other Fudge sister. So we have um, Dr. Sarah Wyckoff with us today, and she has like a whole huge, abundantly awesome list of credentials I'll let her share. But today we're going to talk about child development and the process of learning for our children and integrating dog care and dog raising and all of those pieces, parts together. So as is typical for the podcast, I did the introduction. Welcome, Dr. Wyckoff. We're so glad you're here. Not that I'm not glad you're here, Julie. I love you too. But I don't get to see Sarah as often, so. Okay, Sarah, would you like to give us your credentials and then I'll ask a question? Okay. Yeah, I have a a master's in um, occupational therapy and a PhD in anthropology, biocultural anthropology. My fascination is with child development cross-culturally. So with that, she is the perfect person for us to talk to about developmental stages in kids, what kids can and cannot do at particular ages, as well as how do we work with those ages and to teach them something to acquire skills, in particular working with a dog or helping to take care of the dog, How is that process? How does that process work? We can't just sort of say, okay, to our five-year-old, here's the dog food, here's the scoop, here's the bowl, have at it. Uh, I think there has to be a little bit more to it than that. So what we would really like you to do is talk to us about the stages of learning and what we can expect to do with our various age groups. And the kind of age groups that Tina and I were looking at were sort of preschoolers, elementary age kids, middle school kids, and high schoolers. So you can address those as you see fit. So off you go, Sarah. Okay. Well, first of all, there is a general principle about learning that um, we need to remember and be gracious about with ourselves and our children. And that is that there's three stages to learning. The first stage is intense, right? This is the same with your dog. It's the I'm, I'm, I'm modeling for you what I expect you to do. You can imitate me. Um, I'm giving you verbal prompts. I'm, I'm reminding you of every step. I am right there next to you, coaching you through this process. And we're going to repeat it over and over and over again for many days. Okay. So that's the first stage. And you know you're out of the first stage when you start to see signs of independent initiation of those stages that you don't need the prompting you hold back a little bit and they're doing it they're filling in and then we get to that second stage which is the variability stage what happens if circumstances are slightly different what happens if we're doing it a different time of the day or a different environment say you picked my child is going to feed the dog What happens if we've gone on a family vacation and you're feeding the dog? So there's a different circumstances and distractions and maybe maybe they need to have a little bit more prompting again. Don't forget, I put this here. This is the time of day. Just before we go out on our walk for the morning, make sure that 
those kinds of things. During this phase, if you're focusing on what you're doing, you can do it fairly independently. And the third phase of learning is when you have gotten so good at it that you can multitask. It takes a long time to get to. But in a multitasking situation, if feeding your dog is the, the goal, you can be um, talking to somebody else. I mean, even that is multitasking. Talking to somebody else about something other than what you're doing is a multitask. Having a conversation with your sibling, having another task that you're thinking about, like, okay, I got to get my, my books together because I got to go to school in a minute and I got to get the dog fed first. Those are multitasking situations. And that does not come until way out. It comes a long way out. So that's, that's the case for all of us. Right. And if I would interject for those of you who are dog trainers, you can think of the first stage as your lure reward stage. You are luring the dog to do the behavior you want them to do and rewarding them for doing it. And then you start moving perhaps more towards clicker training. The second one is your distraction phase. So for example, my dog can walk by my side beautifully inside. Now we're going to try it in the driveway. That's a distraction stage. I have to lower my expectations, increase my rewards, get the dog to focus on me more. So that's, and then the multitask is when you've proved the behavior. That's when you can look at your dog or you can go behind the wall. The dog can't see you. You say, sit, and the bottom hits the ground. He doesn't need you standing there in the particular position in the kitchen. Move your hand in a particular way. So same thing works with dogs as it does with kids. I just wanted to sort of add that in. Yeah, it's perfect. That's exactly those same phases. That's what we need to do with our kids. If we're going to teach kids a, 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 a skill to work with their puppies, we need to remember it's a long process and that, that those first two phases need a lot of attention. You are still doing, as the adult, you're still doing the task. You're having the child work with you. You have you can't just hand it over. I, look, I've shown you how to scoop the, the, the pebbles out and put them in the bowl. So go do it. I mean, sometimes it will work, but many times it won't. So yeah. Dr. Wyckoff, does it does it even represent the same list lesson as children or humans are moving through developmental stages the same way it does with dogs, right? I might teach an eight week old puppy. They may have pretty decent skill, but boy, when we hit that adolescence, the dog might suddenly think they speak Swahili and sit doesn't mean anything anymore. I know that that's just a part of learning for that puppy and we're just going to go back. But does the same thing happen with kiddos? Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. What happens with kiddos is we have certain biologically programmed brain reorganization points. They're basically called growth spurts. At any time you get to a growth spurt spot, you know you're getting to a growth spurt spot because your kids, they may be physically growing and then, or they, they may be doing a brain growth, but they get irritable, they get grumpy, their, their frustration tolerance goes down. How about does distractibility go up? Like they, you used to be able to sit there and, you know, shuck the peas. What is going on with you that you can't do that anymore? Right, right. And, you know, and I noticed for my son, it, it, those, those, those phases are really noticeable in a regular basis in toddlers and preschoolers. My son did it on the half year every year. The half year just was a disaster. 
And the beginning of the year, the next birthday was beautiful, brilliant. You know, I think, oh, okay, we've hit our stride. Everything's cool. <laughs> and then it would all fall apart yet again. So we're, we're going to be attuned to the fact that a child who's going through one of those phases is going to be um, harder. It's going to be harder for them to retain behaviors that they that they have already because they're reintegrating and reorganizing their brains. And so this happens every year. And then there are big points, like at six years of age, there's a big growth spurt in the brain. There's a surge. There's a whole set of, of neurons that open up and, and migrate. And that, that causes an even bigger disruption. After which, you think about how school used to be structured, where in kindergarten you had a lot of physical activity, and by first grade you were expecting a child to sit still and, and really absorb auditory and verbal uh, verbal and um, visual stuff better. It's because they finished that integration of the body and now they're ready to, to work with the mind better. That kind of thing happens. So there's big, big things too. Same thing at pre-adolescence through about 16, the brain goes through a constant reorganization process. First one part of the brain, then another part of the brain. So not only do you have hormones going on and the integration and organization of that hormonal surge that you have to figure out and the major growth spurts of your body, but you also have various parts of your brain going on and offline. Do you find that there's a difference between um, boys and girls in these, these later, like these adolescent developmental phases that parents might want to be aware of? Yeah. Um, okay. First of all, Girls have it tougher earlier. They go through a faster, quicker growth spurt, and then they stop. All the women are nodding. We're all nodding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're, they're, simultaneously, they're dealing with a surge of progesterone and estrogen, right, and re, reorganizing that. So so it's tough earlier. and then But the boys, they have a longer load of testosterone coming on stronger and stronger and stronger. Their muscles are getting stronger. Their aggression and their, their energy and their focus and their drive is increasing. And um, their bodies are growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and then growing some more constantly. So it's very disordering to boys. And of course, they've got their voice change and all of that. Uh, it's very disorienting. It's it's more disorienting for boys than I think we realize. We get so focused on what's happening to the girls, but there's a lot of disorientation for boys too. It's not an easy time, but it's just a slower process. But it happens to them over a period of time. So there's 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 those factors that 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 are disruptive to um, all of the tasks, but at the same time, one of the things that's very organizing and very important is to have routine ritual tasks and obligations to the family, chores, responsibilities that helps to keep them organized and to work through these processes. So it's not that we don't want them to have this, the, oh, oh gosh, darn, they're going through another growth spurt. I don't want to stress my child. No, those things staying consistent with those things and staying on them while you're going through these is a very organizing and grounding thing to do. 
What we need to understand as parents, though, is that sometimes we need to float back in and act as, as a guide and, and a prompter. Would it also have been helpful, so in order to, to guide your child through adolescence and help them sort of be grounded in these tasks, that's why we start working with them when they're in elementary school to build these tasks. So these are familiar grounding things and then perhaps in adolescence, we can help them nuance that. Right. Right. Yeah. And the other thing that, that when I think about this whole process, I think about the complexity of um, pet care. So from an occupational therapist standpoint, we have these um, what we call IADLs, they're individualized activities of daily living that are, are complex. And pet care has its own division within occupational therapy. We look at pet care as a thing that we train with people with disabilities. So when we think about it, the whole picture of pet care, where you are um, aware of your pet's well-being and needs completely, that makes up the realm of pet care. And within that, it's like an adult, it's, it's like pet care, if you, if you think of it as a metaphor, the metaphor of writing. Petting the dog might be a word. How do you approach the dog? How do you let him sniff you? That's a word, that, that's, that's a one moment thing. Giving a treat to a dog might be a, a, another word. If you start to have, a, how do you speak to your dog is another word. If you have those kinds of, uh, how do I give pets? How do I approach? How do I give treats? You can create sentences, right? So you have, then you have sentences. So with a toddler or a preschooler, you are teaching the words. You're teaching the one element things at a time. When you get to grade school, you've got these sentences. You can start to form paragraphs. I, and, and a paragraph might be, I can feed my dog. I know how to take my dog for a walk safely. I can clean up after my dog. Another paragraph. That's a paragraph, right? Because there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of sentences in that. There's a whole lot of individual tasks within that. And total pet care, that's a novella. You've got all sorts of things you're considering. You've got tons and tons of separate paragraphs. There's almost a parallel, but I, I would say it, it's a little bit later. I would not expect anybody but an older teenager to to deal with the novella. Well, and the novella is going to be different for a 12-year-old stable dog versus a 12-week-old puppy. Like, they're completely different, especially if it's a completely different breed or breed group, right? Like, I think that's the thing that also kind of trips families up is I see some families that their elderly dog passed away. They're heartbroken. They have a dog-shaped hole in their heart. They go and get a puppy because they're afraid of going through death and dying stuff again. And they don't understand why their kids are really struggling with all the things. And it's like, well, now the kids have a new learner. They have a new learner and the task demands are completely different. How do you, again, you have to go back to the words. How do you give a treat to this? How do you pet this dog? What kind of verbal cues, you know, how how high do you get your voice? How excited do you get your voice? All those kinds of things, all those words that go into the sentences of even just 
claimed uh, have to be re reorganized. It's a new novella. The sentence structure is going to be different. Well, the other thing that reminds me of, too, is, is, is Tina, you're absolutely right. You've got this new dog. Not only are the kids learning, if it's a brand new dog, the parents are learning, too. I know nothing about this dog. I don't know how he reacts if you come up behind him. I don't know what his eating and pooping schedule is if he's a puppy. I mean, everybody's a new learner at this point. And I think it's really hard. Parents will say, well, I've had a, you know, we've had another, we had a dog before. Yeah, well, that was 12 years ago when you had a puppy. And this is a different puppy. You know, are all three of your kids exactly the same when they popped out? Because I know mine weren't. So you've got a different dog with a different genetics, different experience. You are new learners too. And I think it's just overwhelming. I think it's overwhelming enough for the parents, much less overwhelming in to try and then incorporate my children into this process when I'm feeling overwhelmed too. You go back to the learning theory and you think about if you as an adult are in that first phase of learning where you are figuring out what's going on, you can't be multitasking of teaching much at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you can't bring a puppy in and not from the beginning have some ground rules about we better not approach this puppy from the behind or we, you know, put out your hand and let him just sniff you first before you, you know, pet him on the head or whatever it is. Everybody has to get some of those basic, how do we keep this puppy regulated issues? How do we all co-regulate with ourselves? Right. So recently I've had a number of families that have relatively young children, three and four, who want me to run a class uh, to teach their child how to raise the puppy and inter- and interact with the puppy appropriately. And that is like, that's its own whole novella. And I'm like, okay, that has to be done in the trenches in your home, right? Because I don't know your kiddo. They don't have a relationship with me. Nobody knows this new pup. Right. We're all figuring it out as we go along. I don't know that anybody ever broke this down for me. And I am technically a professional parent. Like none of the parenting courses I took were like, hey, you have you can't teach it if you don't know it in your bones and can do it. Right. So you can't teach that to the child. You can't coach that child if you haven't completely integrated it and gotten to the multitasking stage yourself. That alone, huge game changer. For parents, because I I don't know, I'm always trying to learn my child's developmental stage at the same time that I'm trying to parent them at the same time I'm trying to deal with an elderly dog and probably a puppy too. Not to mention, you might also be dealing with an elderly parent or, you know, a sick husband, which all require their own learning tasks. So it's suddenly, you know, my mom just fell and broke her hip. My husband has pneumonia. My kids are now stuck at home. I've got three kids, all all under the age of seven. Maybe the puppy has to come last. And so not only are you not developing those skills because your lifestyle doesn't allow it, you can't possibly teach your kids or ask them to do it because you can't model it for them. And I think it ends up for a real disaster experience for everyone. Yeah, I would agree. If you, you've got to assess what your load is before you bring this puppy into your world. If you have space for this, then, you know, the first thing you've got to do with toddlers and preschoolers is establish that co-regulation between the, 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 the puppy and the child. You know, teaching, giving that child very 
clear, descriptive, like not a, be careful, be careful, but hold your hand out, let the puppy come to you. You know, that that clear, quiet guidance in the moment. You, you do have to teach the basic play skills to the puppy and the child. Here's how you play. And that, if I'm going to teach anything to a preschooler, it's going to be, how do I play? That is a very, not only important thing and a good thing that the child can do that really does help the puppy, but it, it also is what a preschooler is going to want to do. They want to play. The puppy wants to play. It's really reasonable to have your dog trainer over, let that dog trainer get a sense of how this puppy plays, what sets it up for success, and then very explicitly teach those things to the parent and the children. That is a really good skill to learn for preschoolers. I try to get parents to separate the two jobs, right? Like teach the puppy when you're with the puppy, put the puppy away, teach the child how to do the game. And when they're both good at it, then attempt to integrate. So I always view the podcast as like, we're desperately trying to save parents' (laughs) minds. Right. Like, like we want to make it more magic and less messy. Right. So if I'm counseling a parent, is that a better way to go or am I oversimplifying it and being silly about the whole thing? No, Tina, I think it depends. Hey, Sarah could be a dog trainer. Her first response was it depends. Amen. (laughs) That's what we always tell our OT students, too. It really depends. There are people who learn better by separating things out. There are people that learn better by holistically having everything combined. There are people who can separate their child and their dog. There are people who can't. So I think that if I was a dog trainer, I think I would think about those circumstances and what is realistic to ask of each family, each child, each puppy. I know um, when I was working with autistic kids, they, they so, so, I mean, well, all, all children, especially little ones, want to touch, right? The biggest thing they want to do is get their hands on things. They want to touch. They want to feel that fur. They want to smell. They want to, they want to have this physical engagement. That's like the, the natural internal drive that is, is, is programmed into all of us. So having those encounters supervised when you have a child that doesn't know how to grade their touch and most toddlers do not know how to grade their touch. And a lot of preschoolers do not yet know how to grade their touch. And so it's sometimes it's a hand over hand situation. Or there's other times you can say, slowly, slow your hand down, you know, or something like that. Just prompt, but never is it going to be useful to a, a child to say, be careful. Just don't, don't, don't touch. Stay back, stay back. You know, that kind of either anxious voice or general generic phrasing is not, the child's not going to know what that means. I I would absolutely agree. Like, we're going to get further with a puppy or, in my experience, a child by showing them what we want. And in the case of children, sometimes talking through what we want versus no, 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 no. And I think it's the same thing. I see it's the same thing with puppies. Like, I'm like, okay, there's no way little Gracie, the, the doodle puppy's going to sort it out if all we're doing is telling her she's wrong. Like, we're right. not giving her the information she needs to be successful. So you're waiting 
for uh, you know her to somehow guess <laughs> to get it right and that like that's a really inefficient and frustrating for all involved way yeah. Yeah. for learning to happen yeah yeah and the other thing about um when i'm when i'm thinking about preschoolers how to play with this dog whether it's a dog or a puppy you know it's the first thing i would teach that child and you're going to do an enormous service to yourself if you have really spent up up front the time you know really scheduling and really knowing that the first couple weeks with this puppy in your house that your your job is to integrate the puppy into the household and the child get orientated to who this puppy is and how to play with them you can spend a lot of time uploading you just know I'm gonna cancel all my other events. This is this is what our family's doing these next three weeks. And upfront loaded. That's again another reason why you have to assess what is my load, you know, how many other things am I responsible for? If you can't do that, it may not be the right time to bring a puppy into the house. Right. And that's where I think Julie and I would agree. I think Colleen would agree that often integrating a dog that's a known quantity, right? Like an already trained, already social, we know it likes kids, it's already house trained. I think families sometimes don't know where to find that. We'll help you, like reach out, we'll help you navigate those waters. It's much, much easier than you think. You just have to be oriented to how to do it. And being patient and navigating well, I don't, I don't want to get a seven-year-old dog because then we're going to be dealing with death and dying again. I'm like, right, yes, that is a component part, but you also have a much more stable dog to integrate with children. If you are kind of overwhelmed, which, I mean, my experience of parenting, I was overwhelmed a lot. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at stuff, and I was still pretty overwhelmed a lot. Yeah. I would say that for sure for kids under seven, before we go through that neurological developmental bump at six and a half or so, I would get an older dog. Can and I get you to say that again? Like loudly <laughs> and in many languages and loudly and maybe like, can we skywrite it? Because <laughs> yeah. I see so many families trying to do it a really, really hard way. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, oh, I want to try to avoid avoidable suffering. All right. So let her say it again, Tina. Say it again, Sarah. If you are, your goal is to help your child to know how to be in a relationship with a dog. And, and they're under the age of seven. They don't have the skill set to really hold back and self-regulate themselves enough so that they can help co-regulate the dog. They need a dog that's already regulated. A child who's older than at seven or older, that's that's a turning point where I wouldn't be I wouldn't be so worried about bringing a puppy in. And, and it's fun to have the puppy experience. Everybody loves having the puppy experience. Grade school kids can appreciate it and be a really helpful component of this. Preschool kids, it's about learning how to be with a dog and, and be respectful of the dog. Well, and, and the puppy's not going to stay a puppy. Like, they're not going to spend their life in a relationship with a puppy. They're going to spend their life in a relationship with a dog. Right. So learn how to do that first and then learn about puppies. 
Thank you, Sarah. I kind of feel like Tane is right. We should have it skyrided written. We should anyway. That was that's a great way to put it. And thank you very much for putting what we say in a developmental context so that it has the background material so parents can understand why we're saying what we're saying. And it's coming from a child development expert, not just Tina and I going, look, we've seen this. We know what we're talking about. So it's really nice to have that background, that pediatric background to back up exactly what we're talking about. So one of the things I would like you to talk about just a little bit more, because I think this is the next place where parents really fail, and that's with teenagers. I think the expectation on teenagers is vastly inappropriate. I think that we need to understand that teenagers are fairly, it's that time between childhood and adulthood. It's very confusing. And I think that one of the things we have to give our kids some slack for is like, okay, it's Friday night and my friend's just about to pick me up and we're going to the football game. And this is the first time Eric asked me to join in this group and I really want to go. And the parent says, you can't go to feed the dog. And I'm kind of like, what kind of slack do we give teenagers here? How do we incorporate the changes they're going through and yet helping them to remain connected to their family, connected to their dog and connected to the skills that we've helped them to develop? Well, okay. First of all, kids in that range are capable of chapters. They've got the, they can, they can do sentences, they can do paragraphs, they can do chapters. So they can think about their dog in fairly complex ways. However, just like in the grammar that you look at when they write their essays, they, they need a lot of editing and prompting and reminders and support, a lot of modeling, a lot of problem solving. You, if you can develop a relationship with your child that we're co-parenting this dog together so that, so that you understand, hey, mom, I'm going out to a football game. Can you get this for me? Sure. Hey, hey, Tom, I'm going out. I got to run to the grocery store. Can you handle the, the dog walk today? Sure. So there's this reciprocity. Yes, there's, there's a flexibility to it, but there's also a communication line that goes on back and forth. And that's, that's the kind of responsibility thing that, that, that teenagers need to learn is this, I'm, I'm still holding that even if I can't be the one that gets it this time, because we all do that. And that's one of the skills teens need to learn is that I can't get this right now. Can you? I'll get it late. I'll get it next time. Well, so I was just talking to a mama that we're working with that has a 13 year old girl and she didn't make her bed. And her mom noticed, right? Because she's like made her bed every day. Like she was a bed maker, man. And so we we were talking about like, if it if it just happens once, like if there's just an anomaly, like, okay, well, what was that about, right? Was it, you know, the way some of us at maybe less gracious times are like, ah, that child's being a slacker, or or is there something else going on? Like she didn't suddenly forget how to make her bed. But I often think about even with adolescent dogs, like it's the same thing, like things that they know how to do. They just one day, like the the cycle, the gears get misaligned and they drop a skill. And I'm not super quick to be like, hey, let's get on that. I'm I, I endeavor to hold back and go, OK, when we reset, does that skill reboot into the system? Right. Like we all reboot our phones when it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. There's a little bit of, I think, just waiting and going, OK, well, let's see if she makes her bed tomorrow. 
Because, like, you do it three days in a row, we're probably, we got something else going, like, we got something going on. But if it's just anomalous and it happens once, I'm like, eh, I'm not sure, like, that's a huge emergency. Yeah, I, I would agree. So there, so that's another, and that's, that's another issue. It's the consistency. When, there, is, there is a point where there is this reciprocity between the co-parents of the dog, the, the, the teen and the parent, who are co-caregivers. But there's also the place where either the communication fails or it's their turn and it's there's no reason why it shouldn't that you do you watch and you and you ask and you this can be a lovely line of communication hey i noticed that um you didn't get out to clean the the lawn today what um what's up tell you know it may maybe it's a line in to something else you know and there's that there's also that negotiation of do you think you can pick it do a double duty and pick it all up tomorrow or what's what's your plan? What is your plan? Right. Would you like me to help you? Would that would that be helpful to you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so Dr. Wyckoff, we could do a dissertation. Um, I think that Julie and I are in agreement that we would like to maybe have a more regular segment with you, where because it, like you always give us such magic, and you know. I'm oh I endeavor to always be a learner too. So it's always fascinating for me that what I see in practice, like you come and speak to and I go, oh well that well that explains that. Like that's how that's happening. So we're so glad you could take some time and join us today. We're so grateful. I'm sure the listeners are grateful too. We would love to have any of your anybody who wants to email in or ask questions on any of the social medias. You can reach out to us through the website, through Facebook. I think there's probably other ways as well that Julie knows more about, but we would love to have you on again and we would welcome people's questions. Was there anything else you'd like to speak to Dr. Wyckoff? Oh, I think we got it covered up for the moment, but, but yeah, you're right, Tina. There's so much more to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Julie? No, I, I think that we got the basics down. I think we got down what we wanted to, which is the idea of developmental stages and, and learning stages, which I think are important things to, to chew on for a while. And then we can get, dive into that deeper next time. Um, and if you do want to contact us through the website, it's feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. So thanks, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.